Mewis with the service. Looking for Morgan. Purse with another opportunity. She makes good on it. Mitch Purse with the fourth goal of her career. What's good and welcome to another episode of Diaspora United. I am Andre Carlisle as I always am. Such a weird way to start. <laughs> I don't I don't know, y'all. Uh, it's been long nights, a lot of soccering, but uh, I'm happy about it. Uh, here with my co-host, as always, Courtney. Courtney, how are you doing? Uh, I want to say I'm running on several B12 pills, some matcha, and yeah, I'm going to say, and like me and my two brain cells. I That's feel what you. I'm running on. <laughs> I feel you. We going we gonna use those brain cells because uh we ain't got no other options. Uh, <laughs> all good. Um, let's see. You know what we do. We you know how we start. We always start with this with a review because we love it when y'all rate and review the podcast. It also helps the podcast so other people can find us. Other people can get involved in this community. Listen to the pod and everything. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, learn all the little inside jokes that we got going on uh, and all of that. So we appreciate the reviews again with the dad jokes. I, I still, I must say it every episode, but y'all killed it on the dad jokes. They're spectacular. Yeah, they, they truly, truly, truly were. Uh, this one, this review, Jenna GT. Wonder who that could be. The title. Jenna Gin and Tonic. Is I Cannot Be Stopped. <laughs> court Court and Andre, name a more iconic duo. I'll wait, still waiting because it can't be done. Where do soccer players go to get their uniforms? New Jersey. Get it? Go Gotham. You're... Go Gotham. <laughs> oh, look, I love a New Jersey joke. It's the best one. It is. Uh, truly, though, love the pod, y'all. And please read this on air. Jenna, you get your wish. We have read it on air. And uh, appreciate the dad joke. New Jersey, I did get it, but I ain't laughing. <laughs> that was the most monotone. <laughs> I did get it. <laughs> You know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tease Jenna every now and then. She, she, she understands. She knows that's how, that's what it's like. Her role. She goes a little too far, and we always bring her back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, in this episode, we're gonna talk about. uh, We're gonna do some rundowns um, of talking about what's been going on. You know, we're gonna talk a little bit about what's been happening in the NWSL, some other things that happened around women's soccer. Um, Then we're gonna take a quick break and do some. Um, and talk about the CONCACAF W Championship, because it has been a little bit bonkers. And That's then, <laughs> right, oof, yeah, there, there's going to be some very interesting things going on there. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, and then we are going to get into the Barbara Banda situation, because deep sigh, deep, deep, the deepest of sighs. Um, Bullshit. There's a lot to be talked about there and discussed. Um it is, as Courtney said, complete bullshit, but we are going to get there and we're going to talk about it because just it ain't right. So um, let's see, Courtney, before we go into like little NWSL shout outs or anything, should we and take a quick break before we come back and do all that? Or do you have something else to add? Nope, let's take a break and get right into it. Sweet. All right, so we are back, and uh, you know what? Let's do, we, we have a, a lot of NWSL-related shout-outs, but before we do that, a semi, a semi 
NWSL related shout out we got to give is Estelle Johnson, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Scored her first goal for Cameroon. It was dope. We love to see it. Uh, an equalizer, actually, in the thir- what, the 38th minute, I want to say, in the first half in Cameroon's uh, second match of the tournament against Togo. So she got a good equalizer, and it was great. I was I was personally thrilled. If you haven't seen the goal, go to our podcast account. I tweeted it. We retweeted it. It was a great time. So shout out to Friend of the Pod. No doubt. We love to see Friend of the Pod flourishing. I also love that uh, Jen Cujo, hashtag free Cujo, um, she tweeted as well, uh, congratulating uh, Estelle Johnson on scoring her first goal for Cameroon. I just say it's just such a dope moment. I appreciated that. It makes me happy. Um, I, I take the good moments whenever we can. Uh, and that was a good one. Uh, we got another good one. Tim B. Katlana is South African forward is back in the NWSL announced out of nowhere. Really heard no rumors or nothing. She was used to play for Houston Dash, play for Atletico Madrid, moving on from Atletico Madrid. Now with Racing Louisville. Oops. Oops. Rossing. <laughs> uh, oh, my I God. Better. I forgot my own bit. Uh, Rossing Louisville. <laughs> Only thing I'm going to say is uh, treat her right. That's all I'm saying. You know what, facts. Treat her right. All I'm going to say. Um, you know, we usually do on our pods, we do like NWSL breakdowns like each weekend and whatnot. And we'll, and we'll do some of those. But, you know, there's we're not going to go through each game. but So we are going to hit some like highlights though right now or real quick from some of the games that happened this past weekend. Yo, Ebony Salmon versus AD French was fun as hell. And I was, was like, AD, listen, I love you. And I appreciate what you're doing right now. But we're all waiting to like the timeline's waiting to explode for an Ebony Salmon <laughs> debut goal. And she was like, no, nah, not happening. Get out of here. And it was like, yo, I like I'm a, I'm in awe right now. But can you please just let one go? Nope, didn't happen. <laughs> didn't happen. AD was having none of it. Uh, I particularly screamed um, when well, you Photoshop AD's face and said, fuck them kids or fuck your narrative <laughs> or something like that. Uh, I was actually cackling when that happened um it was very very funny and it was a good time i was but i was also like everyone everyone and their grandmama is waiting for ebony salmon to score (laughs) so now we gotta wait till next week well this upcoming week and it was so wild to me too because she was like like ebony was first of all she played all 90 minutes like she had like i think she had like one training session with them played all 90 minutes and she was their most dangerous player like, we, we're not joking. Like, we ain't just talking about her being good because we're like, she black, she good. No, she's very, very good. And uh, it was wild that she wasn't getting any minutes. But she exceeded her total minutes played in that match with Rossi Louisville this year in one match with Houston Dash. I think 75 total minutes, and she played all 90 uh, for, for Houston. But, yeah, she was so good and got a lot of chances on goal. It, again, if it wasn't for AD... That would have been, they would have been dope. Timeline would have exploded, but AD said not on my watch. So, okay, respect, respect, we'll bow out. We yeah, when you tweeted that out, I, my brain broke a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just the dumbest thing. Um, let's see, something else dope that happened was Angel City, one, Thorns, one, Yasmeen Ryan with the late, I think it was 90 plus six, the equalizer. Yeah. She dope deserved it. better too, yeah, yeah, that- definitely. I, I didn't tweet it out, but I think I might have spread it in a few group chats where I was like, 
this objectively is one of the worst actual soccer games I've ever seen. Like, people couldn't pass the ball to each other. Like, in terms of actual quality, it was, like, a terrible soccer game. Like, it just, like, wasn't, like, compared to other, like, it, there were crunchy tackles, misplaced yeah. passes. I mean, it was peak NWSL after dark. And it was just, like, on its face value, like, a terrible soccer game. <laughs> like, in terms of, like, you know, comparing it to even, like, other NWSL games we, we've seen. Like, especially... Yeah, the, the misplaced passes were killing me. I think I tweeted at one point. I was like, I'm really excited to see the passing numbers for both teams after this game. However, I thought Yasmin Ryan, despite all the silliness around her, had a great match. And so when yeah. she got the equalizer, I was thrilled because I was like, she deserves it. It was definitely player of the match for me. Um, and so, yeah, shout out to Yasmin Ryan. Yeah, I, you know what? It's funny you mentioned that the quality of the match because I think, and this is like, we'll go deeper on this in the future, I'm sure. Um, but like the type of the type of like intensity that Freya Coombe wants Angel City to play with, you just like you have to manage your own players better. Like you have to make subs, you have to get everybody involved so that they can keep that intensity level up. Because I think even if you look at it from straight up a pure like data standpoint. If you look at Ariel Drawer, who does a lot of the um, the pass maps and the XG races, uh, race plots after matches, yo, by I think it's like the between the 60th and 65th minute, Angel City flatlines for the rest of the match. Like they were out. Like, and you can watch the match and see, like they hit a wall about an hour in and they were done. And I think that contributed to a lot of it because they were just hanging on and they nearly made it. And then Yasmin Ryan was like, nah, I'm going to score this real quick. want to say that. Over the entire 90 minutes, there was about four passages of play where there was, like, very nice passing and, like, one-touch football. And, like, they were trying – like, both teams were, like, playing triangles around each other. And it was so nice. And I was like, oh, my God, so nice. But then I went back to extra crunchy tackles. <laughs> right. And I was like, we almost – look what we could have had. But instead, it was just crunchy. <laughs> and I also want to give a shout-out for Sid LaRue. She made her Angel City debut. It was dope. Saw the videos on Twitter. She went – Definitely went to the right team. I mean, I I love, we're already getting so much more content from the kids and everything. Keep that up. We love it. We love to see it. Uh, it was so cool to her. And it was so cool to see like the stadium and how it responded to Sid. You know, you could tell she was getting ready, like she was warming up to come on. And then when she was called over to like get, you know, the cleats inspected and all of that, you could just like hear like the entire place was just going crazy. Uh, I listened to Sandra Herrera, a friend of the pot. Uh, on attacking third talk about it too because she was there for that match it just sound like it just seemed like a really dope moment yeah also uh sandra please send us bucket hats i know i particularly want an attacking <laughs> third bucking hat i feel like i deserve one and i agree i'm, I'm just saying you should you should send us bucket hats because uh, we deserve it uh yeah it was really really exciting i can't lie i was absolutely melting um at the video that angel city actually put out today about yeah. sid and her kids um and then the photos that they posted, and I was just like, "This is so cute." Um, and also, Rue just completely roasting Sid <laughs> in the game. If y'all haven't seen it, it's very funny. I think it was what Sarah Gordon <laughs> said that yeah. Rue said to her that Sid came off the bench. Yeah, she was upset. Like, she came off the bench and didn't score. She was like, "Ooh, score!" I'm and I was like, <laughs> "It really be your own people." Yo, kids are, I don't, uh, yeah, kids are brutal. Like, my self-esteem can't handle kids. Not to mention, like, I ain't that responsible of a person in the first place, but, like, my self-esteem can't handle it. So I know, I don't, I don't nah, son. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, like, that hurt. Stop. 
<laughs> I, know, <laughs> like, I, just, I just got here. Like, can I, can I have a couple training sessions? What are you going to do? <laughs> it's, I think it's why uh, Sid will always clown her kids online because they also clown her. And so, you know what? I'm like, <laughs> right. it's, I guess it's even that way. <laughs> facts facts uh other match i want to touch on real quick though is the orlando pride and rossing louisville they played at daytona speedway for some reason uh, that was kind of an interesting setup i we we may have to talk about that a bit more at some point but uh i i did want to highlight darian jenkins because she not only had an assist which was kind of like she had a little cutback like a baby cutback and then it was just a really good shot by strom but darian jenkins's goal i really liked it personally because she did something that I want more players to do as she got the ball. It was like on the near side and, and she looked across the field like quickly and switched the ball really quickly. Like, cause the press was pass. coming. Yeah. She didn't have that lane very long, but she found it. It was a great pass all the way across the pitch. And then she just navigated her way into the box, found the space, stayed on side I know the the Rossing Louisville Twitter account seemed to not believe so, and I understand why they would, but mm, she looked like it to me. Um, but yeah, it was just a great it was a great move. It was a great like understanding of the defense and the how the other team is playing and playing that ball wide and finding the space in the box and and creating the lane for the pass. Just exceptional. I really really like enjoy a well constructed goal, and she basically did all of that by herself. It was great. Yeah, I particularly, I can't lie, I saw the passenger play and I said, mm, Sid LaRue. I said, this was Sid <laughs> yeah. so many times, like how many times yeah. last season we see her drop into the midfield, splay the ball out wide, and then, you know, get back to the forward line, try to get in the box to do something. Um, yeah, that was a really, really beautiful passage of play. Uh, I also loved the little post-game photo between Darian and J-Mac. Um, they are, in fact, the same height. Yeah. I think people often forget that, myself included. That's every time I see it, I tweet about it that Darian Jenkins and J Mac are the same height because it breaks my brain. I try to tell people Darian is tall. She doesn't seem like it, but she is tall. Um, yeah, just breaks my brain. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thought she was playing really, really well. Uh, that Savannah DeMello free kick. Oh my goodness! Her service on like her free kicks are starting to become insane. He now has basically two identical free kick goals this season. Yeah, if you basically if you foul anybody from Rossing Louisville within like two yards of their own box, you you just you it's basically you conceded a penalty. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> what that means. Cause she's just she's nasty with those free kicks. It's it's rough. Um, you know, I did want to ask, and I said we'll talk about it a little bit, but I just wanted to get like, do you have any quick thoughts on like the Daytona like experience overall? Like how do you like what did you think about that? I thought it was a little bit bizarre. Only because when they like when there were a few shots of people, they weren't actually like sitting in stands. Like yeah, some like hop down to sit on the racetrack, which I guess you just could do. Yeah, it was yeah, it was a little bit. It was surprising to me. Um, I think if they were to do something like this, and I mean you can't announce it because the NWL doesn't have their shit together, so you like can't get a schedule out early. <laughs> But I feel like if they wanted to do something like this, like I thought, I think I said this last time we talked about it. It's like idea. Great execution. Not really like, or at least like I understand it in theory, but I don't really see it in practice. And I feel like, and I mean, to be fair, you know, I'm not a professional athlete, but I don't know how it would feel. It's one thing I think playing in your home stadium when there's maybe not a lot of people, but it also feels very different of 
not having a lot of people, Andrew, like, playing at this very big event. Like, Chance the Rapper was there, which <laughs> was, and I mean, I, they cut, at, like, in the pregame, they cut to a clip of his concert, and there, like, weren't a lot of people there, and I was like, this is just, I was like, this was good in theory, but I just don't think it necessarily worked in practice, and I know there was also players were saying that the field wasn't great, like, the turf laid down wasn't great, so good in theory, not great in practice. Yeah, I'm a little conflicted. Like, I I heard a a lot of that as well, but I also, like, a couple people who I know went, like, really enjoyed it, and it was also a good game. You know, you got a 2-2 game, which is always dope. Um, so like I, but, but I agree, like the combination of women's soccer, Chance the Rapper and Daytona, like, I, I just don't know, like, I know people contain multitudes, but if you're going to pack a stadium and you're going to make something like, or, or a venue and you're going to make something like that, I think it has to be a little bit more defined. It seemed kind of random. Um, and I think maybe that's why it felt a little, it seemed a little awkward, but apparently like the on the ground experience was kind of cool. So I, like, I don't, I like, like, I kind of think the, like, do, like, I don't want to see Rossing Louisville, like have a game in like the Kentucky Derby. Like, I, like, I don't want to see anything think like that. that. Would kind of be lit. It, it might be actually, but I like, I, please don't. Um, but, <laughs> but, but like for, for many reasons, um, but I, I think that getting creative with things like that, trying to like, that's kind of a local like Florida thing close enough to, to like, I guess, close enough to Orlando. I don't know Florida all that well, but it's like a thing that they have that's theirs and trying to like glom on to that kind of stuff, I think is kind of cool. Just think maybe it needs to be more refined. And I don't even know how much the NWSL had to do with like Chance the Rapper being there, or the whole like soccer fest event overall. So I don't know, but it I'll say it was interesting, but I'll agree with you. I think execution, as expected with this league, probably wasn't what it needed to be. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's good to know. I hadn't really heard anything from people who were there, so I'm I'm like happy they had a really good time. Um, yeah, I mean, if you if you live in the vicinity and you like women's soccer and chance the rapper, I think it hit it, it did everything for you. <laughs> but I don't, I don't you know, I don't I don't I just don't know how many like new people they brought out or people who are like you know, I like events that happen at the Speedway. I'm going to go and check out this women's soccer game that's happening as well. Like, I I, I really don't know. Um, and then yeah, I, I don't know if the same people, like, the draw would be Chance the Rapper. I, I honestly, I have no idea. Yeah, I wonder what, like, the overlap is. Even though when you mentioned having a soccer game at the Kentucky Derby, which, like, uh, I don't know, now I'm thinking of ideas of, like, like, tangential ideas for other teams. And I wonder, like how effective that would be in terms of like getting like tapping into like a broader local market and how successful that would or not would not be but I mean it did seem like the players were excited about it like the Orlando players so yeah yeah it definitely did I mean it was it was yeah I I think stuff like that is interesting just think probably needs to be thought through just a little bit more um and and try to figure out exactly like what is the goal who are you trying to get to the stadium or to the venue and what are you what can you do better to make that happen so like i'm i wasn't complete when it was first announced i was like okay sure uh we'll see how that goes and then you know afterwards and hearing from some people i was like okay so not terrible they kind of maybe have an idea here all right I, w- we'll see maybe they get better in the future i don't know i don't know that's where I'm at with that. I, I don't I don't hate it as much as I did when I first heard about it. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and I think having a fun game definitely helps with that. But Andre, do you want to take a quick break? 
Yeah, let's take a quick break and then get into CONCACAF W Championship. All right, we back. And you know what? We're just going to start off with it because, well, it was the first game of the of the tournament. So it's not like we're, you know, we're not pulling favorites or anything here. We're going to talk about the game. U.S. Women's National Team played Haiti. The score was three to nothing. Kind of, but not really. That's <laughs> kind of what I think. It was, sure, it was three nothing in the end, but oh boy, it absolutely could very much have been something else. Um, maybe not a loss, but three nothing is quite generous to the U.S. Um, I'll stop there and be like, Courtney, your th- initial thoughts. Um, a lot of thoughts, a lot of thoughts, and also not a lot of thoughts uh, because I work on the production team that put together that broadcast, so. During these broadcasts, half the time, well, at least the U.S. ones, especially, kind of run around the like a chicken with my head cut off <laughs> about it. Uh, so some thoughts: um, Alex Morgan's first goal was bonkers. Like that flick was absolutely nasty. Um, what are some other things? Uh, I really feel bad for my girl Becky. Y'all know I love my who's, and she got ate up twice. I said, don't do that to my girl, Becky. She doesn't deserve that. I mean, I guess I'll I'll also mention the red card. That was not a red card. I definitely think it should have been a red card. But also, weirdly enough, I can see how it was overturned. Not even talking about, like, the quality of refereeing across CONCACAF and across women's soccer. Um, but when you see, like, there's one angle where you see um, Borgella, and she's like, 100% looking at the ball it's not like she's looking at the player and so while well, I see it being like a clear red card because Kelly O'Hare what, got cleated in the ribs you know high boot can endanger like very much endangering your opponent <clears throat> and like a few of the other things about endangering opponent that comes through the IFAB rules I think probably what had them overturn it was the fact that Borgella was like truly looking at the ball the entire time and it was like an unfortunate turn of events that Kelly O'Hara was also there because it wasn't like she was like because I, I mean I think I've seen other red cards especially when it comes to like endangering your opponent where it's like um it either can like look malicious not saying obviously not saying this was malicious like if you look at that replay and you see where like where eyes like you're not you're not like most people will not be like oh this was like malicious intent or something like that it's not like she like went and like just decided to karate kick Kelly O'Hara in the chest. Like, those those are two different things. Um, but yeah, I thought that was... If that red card, then yellow card situation had not happened, I think the game honestly would have played out really differently. That happened at towards the end of the first half where, um, unfortunately, Haiti missed that penalty. And I was like, no post, no... Why'd you do this? Because I, like, I had figured the U.S. was going to win. Like, it was not going to be an easy game, which we very much saw. That was not an easy game for the U.S. to play. And they were, and the U.S. was exposed, especially a part of those back lines, like, over and over and over again. Um, and I feel like Andre, we had seen that beforehand. Just no one else was kind of paying attention to it. Um, but, yeah, if that, if that, um... I think if that red card, red red card slash yellow card did not happen, then Haiti would have went into the second half and it would have been a lot tighter and a lot more nervy 
as a game. What other things? Oh, uh, we are right on track for our over 5.5 goals <laughs> called offside. Chop up by VAR for the US Women's National Team. Um, yeah, I feel like those are kind of, you know, my big thoughts. I Like, people obviously underestimated Haiti, which mm-hmm. we were like, literally don't sleep on them. They have ballers everywhere, like Melchie DuBernay, like Borgella, like all of these players, um, or the majority of these players are playing professional football in France, either through the first year or the second tier, and like are very quality players. But Andre, what were your thoughts? Yeah, so I agree. I actually thought that, and I was a little disappointed when the match started because I think the way like Haiti did what I didn't think, I didn't expect them to do, and they did start out very conservatively. Um, they were not, you know, getting the ball into spaces and trying to get in behind, trying to get in between the lines of the U.S. when we know that the space is there. Um, and then towards like, I guess that that probably lasted for about, mm, I don't know, about 20 minutes or so. And then they switched things up. And that's when Dumornay really started getting into the game. And, you know, there was this one. So so there were like, like you mentioned, there were two really two things that happened that I think were really significant. The one you talked about was like, her just completely exposing Becky, and that was that was sad. That like that hurt my heart too. I was like, no, she no, didn't Becky, have to do that to my girl. <laughs> it was, uh, said, oh, it no, was not Becky. And you know, I heard on the on the commentary they said like she she tried to get too cute with the finish, and I don't think that's what it was. I think the I think Casey Murphy came out very quickly, and don't forget she's kind of large, so she spread herself, and she was on the ground. She didn't really give her like an angle on the ground to hit, so she tried to lift it a little bit to kind of get some air over it so she could clear the keeper. And it's just really hard to do that when you're facing a keeper that that's, that's that big and spreads themselves to be even bigger, um, right? Like in a split second. So I, I, I would have loved to see that goal go in. I think that absolutely changes the game. Um, but if you look at the, the pass that led to, or the situation, or actually the pass that led to that situation was wild to me because it was a ball from a center back. They rolled the ball from the center back straight up to Dumornay, who was right in front of Becky Sauerbrunn, our, our center back, with one pass across the ground. I was like, yo, that shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff that scares me about the U.S. women's national team right now. And the, it's part of its personnel, part of its um, tactical setup. And it's like concerning to me that something like that can happen because that could be exploited over and over and over again if you're giving up those kind of passes and yeah, you could say it was a breakdown, but that's not like, that's not like, like Courtney said, like we've talked about, there are vulnerabilities there and you can take advantage of them, particularly in behind fullbacks. If you happen to, to get the ball and play it in either at the right time or the right direction. Uh, and they got that one. Perfect. Um, the, then the penalty that happened, it was kind of a similar situation. Dormanet gets on the ball, drives at the back line, lays off a really nice pass from Mondesir. Uh, Emily Fox puts in a really bad tackle. Yo, it was an NWSLS tackle. It really was. I was like, oh, that's, gonna, that's a pin all day. Um, and yeah, I, I was I, I was like, okay, they're going to get a goal. This is going to be a very interesting match. And then the post. So I was like really upset about that too. <laughs> yeah, mad disrespectful. Courtney, you tweeted about it. I think it was yesterday. It wasn't the same day as the game. But I think it was yesterday when you talked about how much Crystal Dunn made up for. You're seeing it. You're seeing like that is a that is an example the right there. I miss Crystal Marcel. Dunn, <laughs> right? Crystal Dunn, like they didn't have to deal with this kind of stuff because Crystal Dunn took care of the danger. And Emily Fox is now being relied on to do that. And as good as she is, 
you're saying how much Crystal Dunn really meant, especially defensively. If you're going to have like, again, Lindsay Horan kind of float and move around wherever she wants, and she's not going to be in midfield to help break up some stuff like that, then this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to, it's, and this is why I get kind of concerned about, um, about Vlaco as well. Like, yes, you want your fullbacks to get high, but you also have to be defensively aware when the ball is turned over or when you lose possession or something like that. Like there is space to be exploited. And that was a situation where she's trying to make a recovery tackle and wasn't able to do it cleanly. And that's kind of going to happen when you're having to dive in from behind in the box like that. So like that was really wild to me um, that that ended up happening and, um, and not, not completely unexpected. I think, I think your point about Crystal Dunn is perfect. It's just like, we tactically, we have to be better. <laughs> like you just have to be better than that. And that's from like the game plan down to the individual players. And I love Emily Fox, but that was rough. That was a rough one. She she didn't have a great match overall, for being honest. So that was it's kind of a but you know, the great thing is they also didn't bring a backup left back. So she's just gonna have to figure it out. <laughs> I know. It's it, and it's ridiculous. Um I also want to give a shout out to um Monda Seer, because she's also a baller too that you should keep your eye on. Yes. Um, yeah, it was like it was super bizarre because I think for the team overall, it's like you had some really good individual performances. Um, like I thought Midge when she came in was playing yeah. really well. Um, really mad that that first goal was cut, was chalked off, <laughs> but also I was like, yup um they spoiled the video drop on the timeline i was like yo i finally get to drop this i'm gonna be so high like i've been holding it forever and then they caught it called off and i was like no i I had to bring it back when she actually scored though so that was good (laughs) i know and i was i was happy for her when she actually scored um but yeah it was like good it was like good individual performance not a great team performance which i think kind of just how the u.s has been playing um and not to necessarily like come at the the other competition they've been playing at, but I mean we've been seeing some really dominant team performances. Or sorry, like some I'm I'm thinking like not from this past window, but like even more grand grand scale post yeah, I'll say post twenty twenty Olympics. Um, we have seen some very, very dominant performances by the US and sometimes I feel like it's because you'll have four or five or let's say three or four really standout players then everyone else like does fine where I feel like this time it was you had two or three players playing really really well but then everyone else was like it's not really working super great like what's going on here isn't working super great um and so yeah I just kind of feel like the U.S. has I mean I know they're probably going to be in that tape room like today tomorrow uh yesterday and today um before their game tomorrow or well thursday anyway (laughs) um but yeah just like the u.s has a lot of things to work on and the these are things to be fair we've been saying for a long time and i feel like everyone is now just starting to wake up for it like Lindsay horan is clearly broken somehow oh yeah yeah i I thought it was telling that even after that game like even even ali wagner was like she's not fitting in or something she didn't necessarily mention her injury which you kind of can see like she's not moving well and when she like takes a takes a challenge you can tell like that that she's not 100 something's bothering her 
And so like, yeah, that's, that's a little confusing. Um, and, and it is, it is weird though. Like, like you said, we're, we're not necessarily surprised by this. We thought Haiti is a good team. We knew, we know, I won't say thought, we know Haiti is a good team. They get, they, they get a lot more disrespect just because of racismo and everything else. <laughs> but um, we, we knew that Haiti could pose a challenge and they did. I, I genuinely think they did. Um, the one thing that I did think though, that they did get fortunate and you mentioned this, that red card. I, if the, if the ref would have only given yellow for that, I would have been like, wow, that's only a yellow, but she gave a red and then reviewed it. And then not like, so I don't, I don't know. I, I, I find it difficult. And this is kind of like a broader discussion that I really don't want to get into with VAR, but, (laughs) but like, it's to me, it's like, what are you looking for? Because again, I go, I always go back to like clear and obvious and that is not a clear and obvious decision. That's one of those things where if a ref rips, whips out like a straight red, you ride with it because we've seen challenges like that be straight reds. And sometimes intent does matter. I get it. But also like we've seen some bad challenges like that where there is no intent there. And it's very rare that you see somebody just get somebody like a like a Leonidas from 300 just boot to the chest. Like, like it's very <laughs> rare that you just straight up see that. And so like it's not ever like like obviously something that intentional would be a straight red. But still, there is some contact that happens that is very, very dangerous. And I thought that was pretty dangerous. However, I will also say. I am also in the camp of I would like to see these matches be 11 v 11 as long as they can. And if there were ever going to be a case where something like that was going to happen, be a straight red, get reviewed, and then become a yellow, and we were going to stay 11 v 11, it was going to be in CONCACAF. So, <laughs> like, I am not surprised, but I was all like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, and so while you're talking, I did look up the IFAB rules, um, and and so and so I agree, and I do want to make it clear, like I 100% thought it was a a red card. Like when watching the replay replays, I could see how the ref could have like convinced themselves that it was a yellow card because I feel like for the most part with red cards, I'm actually about to describe, but of like what IFAB says, where like outside of you know denying a, a opposing team a goal or clear um obvious goal scoring opportunity um you know like um but the other ones for that are like straight red because the thing is like there's a difference between getting two yellows and having that become a red card and a straight red yeah um and so under ifab besides denying an opponent a goal or obvious goal scoring opportunity by handball or like you know almost said like rugby tackling someone you know those type of things um what is a, just a straight red sending off offense from IPAB? It says serious foul play, biting or spitting at someone, violent conduct, using offensive or insulting or abusive language and or actions, receiving a second caution, and then <laughs> entering um, the video operation room can get you sent off. <laughs> um, which I actually no, think I we saw one to time. Do <laughs> so I don't know if someone has one in the room. This is a tiny tangent. But remember uh, the Nations League final on June 7th? or June 6th, yeah, June 6th, 2021, between U.S. and Mexico, and how Tata Martino got sent off. I believe he got sent off because he was, like, peering over the ref's shoulder when they were looking in the VAR, little pitch side VAR booth. Um, That's hilarious. But, so yeah, but I do want to focus on, because I think for me, why the, if I'm going to, like, rationalize, and to be fair, we had Christina Uncle on the show, 
Um, and she talked about it and she was like, Yeah, to me that was not a clear and obvious error, so I don't know how it should be overturned. Yeah. But I and obviously, you know, we don't hear what's being told in this ref's ear, where maybe someone in the bar booth was like, Oh, this wasn't serious foul play or violent conduct because i'm like i would guess that that's that would be one of the two things that would cause it to be a red card which i also agree with like kelly o'hare got cleated in the chest it was not on purpose but she she has like she had cleat marks that was like that photo was memed online of like football footballers like art oh my um, god one of the but, best twitter accounts <laughs> one of the best twitter accounts it was absolutely hilarious but like so I can see, like, like I can see how the ref could have came to that conclusion. I don't agree with it. Cause she got cleated in the chest. Like, like to me, that was like one time where everyone was like, "Yeah, that's that's a clear red card." And then it was like, "LOL, it's a yellow card somehow." And everyone was just like, objectively, how? But yeah, yeah, that. And and it sucks. Be and I I do completely agree that like <laughs> the one time there would be a clear red card that uh is either not given despite there being bar it would be happening in Concacaf. Yeah, that that part. Um. All right. Let's let's move on and talk about the other matches that happened. Um. Jamaica, Jamaica showed up. Jamaica one nil over Mexico. Kind of a oof from Mexico. We know that Jamaica team is good, but uh, Courtney, I'm going to ask you for a number. How many yike? Um, see, it's tough because we also like think about this from a macro sense. How this tournament, like literally the seeding, happened was based based off FIFA ranking, and we know that FIFA rankings are racist, and so it's like yes, Mexico was ra- like was ranked too low, but also so was Jamaica, and we know this is a group of death. And so it's like, I will only give it one yike because, and, and the yike, yike I give it, what? And yike. Yeah, one singular yike. Okay. Only from the fact that Mexico could not, like, finish. Like, they just kind of had nothing really going on in the final third. Um, even that part with my fave, Diana Ordonez, like, that was a handball. Like, if you watch that replay, you know, that everyone's like, that diving header, how did she miss? Yeah, that joint hit her elbow. It did not hit her. Head. It did not hit her head. It literally hit her elbow, like her forearm, Oof. and then did rightfully did not go in the goal because also we don't know VAR was there. They might have not overturned it. Um, and so that's the only yike I give it because, and the reason why I'm not giving it a yike or I'm only giving it one yike, not several yikes, is because we know how good Jamaica can be. And I mean, I can't lie, I was quite surprised that they got the win not saying that they don't have the quality but the fact that they had not played since april qualifiers they just had a training camp in colorado to yeah. prepare for this tournament yeah so that's why i was surprised like if they, if this matchup had happened like let's say like the third game in the group stage and yeah. jamaica got it one nil i'd be like oh yeah that that's super fair but it was because they didn't um they just hadn't played but like the qual like the way jamaica set up and that four two three one, and just like Drew Spence was playing out of her mind. Yeah, she was so good that game between her, Jody Brown, and Bunny. Like, Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> like the the three, like they were playing out of their minds. And so it's like I, it's a, that's why I only give it 
one singular yike because I'm like, Jamaica also just like played really, really well. And to me, it kind of goes back to maybe even, I don't necessarily want to like group Mexico in this, but like thinking about how the US, for example, and I hope Canada will not be like this, but we don't know, um, like properly preparing for the quality of this tournament and being like, anyone can beat you on any any day and being showing up in your most prepared self for that. Um, so yeah, I thought just Jamaica, also Becky Spencer, playing out of her mind, stood on her head about seven times. The yeah. saves she made were absolutely unreal. Um, and I think, yeah, it was just like, Jamaica was playing really well. They really bossed out that midfield. Like, really bossed out that midfield. Um, like, did not let Stephanie Mayor really get on the ball at all. So, that's why I only give it one yeah, because I was like, Jamaica just played really, really well, and Mexico kind of, not only did not really have an answer for them, um, when they were just kind of sliced through the midfield at times, or sliced down the wing, um, like, who was it? There were a few balls that were played that I was like, this is a gorgeous ball, and like, literally, what? Like beautiful ball slicing through the midfield and the defense. Um, so yeah, that's why I only give it one yike. How many yikes are you giving? Okay, so I hear I hear you, and I agree. Like I, Mexico is a good team, and I have to give their coach Lauren Donaldson due like for for only having like a training camp in Colorado, not having any like live like competition. Like come in, they they may play scrimmages or whatever, but they didn't play like an actual match against a, a different opponent. That was a hell of a game plan. Like, I thought they did brilliantly. That was really, really smart play. A really, really good game plan executed very well. However, I will also say my, and, and I'm giving you like off the top why I am like, I think it's a couple yikes. Two and a half, maybe three yikes for okay. a couple of reasons. I listened to uh, Footmex, Footmex Nation uh, has a podcast called Our Football Pod. Um, and, uh, it is done by Amelia Lopez and um, a couple others, I think. Um, but she had a guest on uh, for the like a snap reaction pod, like right after the loss. Uh, Alexia de la Cruz um, was joined her for the pod, and they were like, and I and I was I was glad to hear this because I I haven't been following Mexico as closely as they have. So, but but when I saw the lineup, I was like, how this gonna work? And they had the same questions. <laughs> uh, I apparently, had a question: Why no caddy and no Licha? I will say that. Yeah, there was a lot. There were a lot of questions about that midfield. You know, I had two players who kind of didn't do a whole lot of like their their the like their profile was not something that was going to be what they needed to be to connect through that midfield, uh, a, a solid midfield like Jamaica has. And especially when Drew Spence is in there, like you said, playing out of her mind. And then like the adjustments, like the substitutions. There were some good and some bad. You got a little weird. I, I saw there were kind of, a, for me, like I like Diana Adornez a lot, but I also kind of agree and understand why people would think like Alicia Cervantes uh, should have got in uh, because that was, that's like, that's the kind of player you want in a, in a situation like that. And then when they actually did put Alicia on, they took off Yeramio, who like plays with her at Chivas. And so like you mm -hmm. have that natural connection there that you just don't rely on. And that's not like 100%, like a, like a, not a 100% rule, but it is like a questionable thing. Why would you do this? Especially when you're chasing the game and need a goal. So there were a lot of lineup decisions that I thought didn't go very well. But I also think like, they mentioned this on the broadcast too, the Jamaica had never beaten Mexico. Um, this is Mexico's best senior team. Um, they've had some really good like, young youth, uh, like youth teams, 
but this is their best senior team. They may not be as good as they're going to be. And I'll say right now, they're not as good as they're going to be. I think even we've seen the growth in that team a year, from a year ago when we played them before the Olympics. They're a very different team now. I think even going into the World Cup, they're going to be even better, even stronger team. Um, but I also think like this game, a result from this game was possible. As good as Jamaica played, a result from this game was possible. You were at home. Everybody was really excited to see this team get out there and, and, and see what they could do in this competition in their own backyard. And that's why I give it a couple of yikes because the lineup decisions plus the way that they played and how disjointed they looked. And like you mentioned, there were not many looks at goal. Like it's not like it's it's not like Jamaica just kind of like packed it in and was just kind of waiting for like taking the like shot after shot after shot. Mexico had 13 total shots. Jamaica had 12 shots on target were three for Mexico, four for Jamaica. So this yeah. wasn't like just sitting Jamaica's there and taking like in a low block, taking a battering. That wasn't what happened. And to me, if you if you play like if you're going to play, if Jamaica's going to allow allow you to play a little bit and they're going to try and play a little bit, there are spaces out there that are just naturally going to open up. And Mexico has the talent to be able to take advantage of those spaces and they just didn't. So that to me is a bit of a yike. So now I'm like, it's almost like when a coach finds like a they accidentally stumble upon like a catastrophic setup. You're like, oh, no, I didn't know you were capable of doing that. <laughs> Hopefully you don't do that again. But now I'm shook. Like Now I, I really want to see their next match because Haiti and Mexico is extremely intriguing right now because Mexico absolutely needs points. But they not only need points, they need a very good performance. But if they go out there like full-on attack... Haiti can absolutely put a couple by them on the counter. And so like it, like for them, they made their lives very hard. So even though shout out to Jamaica, I think it's a couple yikes for those reasons for me. Yeah. And I get that. Um, if you heard me gasp a few minutes ago, it's um, because Crystal Dunn liked one of my tweets. So I'm oh, a little bit inside. it's the okay. Estelle Johnson goal tweet and she oh, liked it I and it. I died a little bit. Um, <laughs> fully believe it's probably because uh it's probably because aaron west retweeted it but that's why if you heard me gasp and you were like what happened uh it's because i saw that um yeah no andre i fully get what you're saying i yeah and it's well and it's funny because i can also see why you would play a player like ordonia's like if you're thinking oh we're you know might be getting the like crossing the balls in from wide and stuff like that like ordonia's tall and hit the ball like I understand yeah. it, um, but yeah, I do. I definitely do see what you're saying. Because um, when I did see that lineup, and like to be fair, when lineups happen, I have approximately two and a half seconds to process what's going on, and then being like, "Ain back to work." Um, I like, yeah, I was, I was surprised about like tiny bits, you know. For example, like thinking about how, like, kind of not to bring it back to the U.S., but how Vlaco probably started Alex Morgan because she's in red hot form right now. And not saying that Ordonius isn't in red hot form right now, but I, and I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong. I would say that Caddy Martinez and Licha Cervantes are in like very red hot form right now, or at least were like the last time they were playing. I know it's, yeah. the season is may or may not have started for Liga and Mickey's Feminile, but anyway. Um, so yeah, but I do, I do see what you're saying, especially in terms of, um, like the roster selection and a, and a kind of yeah like hey what's uh what's going on here like when you look at those when Concacaf tweeted out their if you went to the Concacaf website and they put out their lineups 
and like you saw the formations and you were like Vanna Solon not a center back like what's <laughs> going on here like there were just like mistakes left and right from yeah. truly from CONCACAF in terms of formation um and so oh, I'm sorry I'm, I meant to mention two other things from uh from from the uh, Mexico's coach uh, Vergara like there were two things two other things that I saw like Rebecca Bernal should yes that is that is a center back but she I, I think they had said she had never played with Montero um or that's uh-huh. just like a bad combination so like the center back pairing was weird and bad as well but then also I don't think they did a good job of like adjusting because like Jamaica had a plan for Mar- Maria Sanchez they had a plan they were like, you are not going to cut us up like you cut everybody else up. Like, we're going to run players at you. But then, of course, what you do, you go to the other side. And I don't think that there was enough quality on that other side, which is unfortunate because Mexico has enough quality on that other side to, like, put somebody on there who can actually do it. That's kind of like where I'm with you, where, like, I think if you have somebody like Caddy out there or something, you get somebody over there who can work with that space when they're given it. So like, yeah, I, there were, there seemed to be like a number of questions that I had. And then they were thankfully like confirmed when I listened to, and I, and I read um, also Eugene uh, Rapinski, who does uh, writing on the Mexico team. He did a good piece as well, kind of breaking it down. Like it sounded like the, the good news, I guess, is that it sounded like it was a complete, like it was one of those things where the team was not set up at all for success. Like almost if you were going to set up the team to to have a pretty disastrous result this is what you would do it was almost mm-hmm. like in that category and it was like uh so hopefully lessons were learned we know that's a theme here on this podcast we will see if lessons were learned <laughs> I based actually, on how they lied up versus Haiti <laughs> uh, based on the the U.S. if that is a the theme of the podcast I'm quite unfortunately doomed um for everyone else <laughs> that we talk about because uh when it comes to Vlaco I I fully change my thoughts from last podcast. I officially do not think lessons were learned. Um, no. Even Agreed. just on the basic thing of like, hey, this one player's injured. Why are you playing them? And that's just not. So uh, hopefully lessons are learned for Mexico's sake because I also like want to see Monterey really turn up for them like and sell out the yeah. stadium and stuff like that. Like they... They 100% deserve that. And also, I think it probably goes, like, isn't this Vergara's, like, first big international tournament with Mexico yeah. for the, the senior women's team? I know she won for the U17? Yeah, I think it was U17. Oh, yeah, U17, and uh, they got to the, you know, the final of the U17 World Cup. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Hopefully lessons are learned, because also I want to see Mexico ball out and, like, do something crazy and beat Canada or something. Yeah, I thought we were going to have a party. Like, I was excited. I was like, this match is going to be bananas. And then Jamaica got that early goal, and then and then Mexico just never figured it out. So, well, you know. Bunny we'll, most. Bunny. Uh, who is it? Uh, Emery, Emily Alvarado, who is Mexico's keeper, definitely saved Mexico on two or three other chances. Yeah. Because at one point I was like, Jamaica can score four. But yeah. I was like, Mexico can also score four. But it's not <laughs> happening for them. Yeah um all right let's let's talk about um uh, the the other two matches so group b started off the the next day what was that two tuesday i think it was tuesday um yes. costa rica beat panama three to nil that Very was kind of painful and really handled them yeah i didn't expect that if i'm gonna be honest i thought panama would, would like get a goal and like be like I, I didn't think it was gonna be three nil i thought that was gonna be a much more competitive match because going into it I was looking at that group and I was like, Costa Rica, like, 
they're a good second seed, but they're not like much better than Panama. Oops, maybe yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> uh, well, I feel like part of it, um, they did have Natalia Mills, yeah. who's one of their big players um, in their midfield. Well, like midfield, like Jesse Fleming midfield, like sometimes she's in midfield. Oh, well, it's close to the forwards. She wasn't there, um, which for me was a pain because I was like, she's a bowler. Um, and even though I thought, and also, um, Yeneth Bailey had like, like, I wish her fingers were like two inches longer because some of those goals, like, <laughs> she probably could have gotten like a oh, hand to it, like, especially for that second goal. Like, yeah. when you watch that re- replay in slow mo, like, it's like she's almost there, but the ball was, um, driven too hard too fast yeah yeah that's true it was it was a rough one but you know i i think i felt bad because i felt like that could be a match that kind of like changes that table or that group a little bit because we expect canada to 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 top it and i was thinking okay if panama can get like a draw then things get really interesting for that second spot Mm, i don't know three nil we'll see things might go just quite predictable uh in group b already which would be a little sad i think yeah, but hopefully, I mean, things, hopefully things get back to normal. I mean, but yeah, I feel like Costa Rica, yeah, game plan hit it. But also Costa Rica wants to get back to that World Cup. And so I yeah. think they're going to do everything that they can to get there. Uh, and then the last match of the first group state, group match, not group stage, group match of the CONCACAFW Championship, we saw Canada hit six past Trinidad and Tobago. But at least for me, like, Yes, this match, this the end result was very lopsided, but it was not very lopsided for a long time. Yeah. Um. So, I tweeted this, and this is interesting because I think like I think I think a couple things are happening. I think some Canadian folks are like over like not necessarily understanding all of the like all of the frustrations with the U.S. Women's National Team because they've kind of had to live in the shadow of them winning everything all the time. And so it's like, shut up. Like we will trade you like your, like your players in history or not. But I'm like looking at that Canada team, like um, y'all can give me Ashley Lawrence, Kandisha Buchanan, like, like y'all can, like y'all got some ballers that I would really, really like to have that on the team. That long Right. Like, Buchanan. yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not like psh, Vanessa Gill, like that, that whole back line, like, give me, give me, give me. Um, no disrespect to Alana Cook, or I mean, that's, you know, honestly, and no disrespect to Becky, but she got to do better. She can't be getting cut up like that. Um, and Emily Fox can't give away penalties like that either. Um, but I think so. The interesting thing to me was is that I do think that Canada had like a vintage U.S. Women's National Team performance. Is kind of was kind of my take after that, and it was for two reasons: one good, and one like haha bad. But they Canada like Bev Priestman started the match with two defensive midfielders against Trinidad and Tobago. Jack Quinn and Des Scott. That made no sense. And it made the match a lot harder than it needed to be. And even though Deanne Rose was cutting people up on the left flank, and even though like Ashley Lawrence had that brilliant, like really good assist, just a really quick move to find space, get to the lot byline, clip a ball in right to Christine Sinclair's forehead. It was perfect. Like, it was great. That's what you want to see. But they made like getting the second goal so much harder for themselves. And it was frustrating to watch. And it was one of those things where it's like, it's tactical. You have two defensive-minded midfielders out there. That is not how you break down a low block. Get somebody else in there. When she finally made the change for Julia Grosso, guess what happened? 
four goals and 12 in the last 12 minutes of the game. So like that's why the scoreline looks bananas because Canada really struggled to find that second goal. They found it. And then they were kind of like, they were always in possession, like in control of the game, but they didn't really like turn it on until Bev was like, Oh, oops, I guess we need to take out one of the defensive midfielders and put somebody else in. And then the game got so much easier, but it was also a combination of despite the, the, the flaw in the tactical choices, like the personnel on the pitch, I still think that Canada passed the ball well. They passed it between lines, which makes defense have to react, and they moved it from side to side, which also tires the defense out. And so I think they did both of those things, and that's something the U.S. women's national team used to do very well. So even if you could like cope with some of their, like if, if they were a struggle to watch because of some of their tactical like issues like naming two defensive midfielders or not putting the right combination of midfielder and attack on then they can make things look much more difficult than they need to be but when team teams tire out that space comes and then they're able to dominate and it's because of all the work that they did leading up like in the in the like first hour or so I would say of the match to be able to continue to keep the ball moving quickly and so it wasn't like a perfect performance but it was one of those where they did enough to be able to earn the result that they got. And yeah, 6-0 is flattery because basically Trinidad and Tobago was just like worn out um, having to defend like that. It is really, really hard to defend like that. Like I cannot, it's hard to explain it. I've only like, I've played organized soccer only like a handful of years. But like when all you're doing is sitting back and chasing the ball that close to your own like <laughs> attacking third, you are struggling. You are really struggling. I get a defensive third, but like I, I just it was just one of the, it was weird. So and then after the match, Beth Preston was like, some she said something like she she's never gonna put the handbrake on that team. I'm like, yo, you put on two defensive mids. So like again, we go to the theme of lessons learned. In the next game, I hope that she does not have Quinn and Des Scott in the midfield at the same time. <laughs> again lesson these are things you guys can look out for in the next game and see like right there you'll be able to know was a lesson learned or was it not we'll see yeah i also want to mention we forgot to mention this um in the jamaica game two missed penalties skied oh oh my god them, yeah <laughs> just unfortunately went to jupiter um yes I would say Fleming so went Fleming's. well over the ball. Not like a huge sky, but it was like over the bar. Yeah. Like, yeah. and so I was like, <laughs> I, I mean, look, my my philosophy for, for penalties are always low to the corner. They're, they're, it's hard to save. If you get it right on target, it's hard to save. Um, So yeah, did want to mention that. Yeah, Deanne Rose and Ashley Lawrence were just balling out. Like, <laughs> Deanne Rose was balling so hard and i was like wow this this is very very fun to watch but i do think yeah like what could potentially hamper canada in this tournament is how bev decided to set them up tactically like yeah i completely agree um that when you are playing a team like trinidad and tobago which they can definitely go and hit you on the counter but like when you're going to for the most part be really really possessing and trying to break down a team you don't need two defensive midfielders you just need one midfielder who is very good at what they do, which you have in both Quinn and Desiree Scott. Yeah, it was, it's, it's some weirdness. Like I, I just don't, I hope that that doesn't happen. I mean, we've talked about it. Like that's Canada's thing. If 
she can like if Bev Priestman can rely on that attack and understand like like Star Grosso don't have two defensive mids. Like I know you want a strong defense, but yo, you've got one of the strongest defensive pairings that like in in like international football. Like Kadisha Buchanan and Vanessa Gill is incredible. And then you have strong fullbacks. You got Ashley Lawrence and Jade Riviere had a hell of a game too. Like she was very, very good. Um, so like you have the quality to rely on them a bit. You do not need to also have two defensive midfielders and you have attackers who can go and get goals. So like I'm I don't expect that in Canada's next match, but what will really be telling is like when we get to the semifinal and maybe final round, like championship game, if Canada's in there, what is she gonna do? That's gonna be the tell. Like, sure, you can learn your lesson maybe against like, you know, they they still gotta play Panama, you know, they still gotta play Costa Rica. Maybe they don't do she doesn't do that then. But like when you start like you also don't need to do that against some of the other teams who you would quote unquote consider better, like perhaps maybe the US Women's National Team, if they happen to make it that far. Or even if you get into like the World Cup and you're playing some other teams who maybe um you would assume be higher, like in the FIFA rankings. And as Courtney said, FIFA rankings are racist, but you know what I mean? Uh one of those teams where the expectation is that they're gonna be able to match you, you also don't need to do it against them either. So like I I don't know if she has like a I, I just want to see it. I want to see her understand the talent that she has in that team, especially capability in each line and be able to allow them to each do their job um, rather than trying to give like the back line and assist from the midfield because they don't need more than one player dedicated to doing that job. Yeah, 100%. So Andre, going into predictions, uh, let's start with Mexico versus Haiti first. Predictions. What are yours? Yeah, this one is going to be so interesting. I am super excited for this match because I do not know what's going to happen. <laughs> like, I honestly do not know what's going to happen. I think one of the other benefits of that red card being changed to a yellow is that now Borgella is not suspended for this match as well. So that is like pretty important for Haiti. Um, that could have been like a more than a double jeopardy situation for them, um, losing a player, going down a 10, and then losing her for the next match. So that would have been um, pretty bad. But, oh, I don't know. I want to say Mexico gets it together and wins like an exciting 2-1, maybe like a 3-2. I, I, I just think that like this match is going to be crazy. Like there's going to be back and forth a lot. I, I think that you're going to get, you're definitely not, now that I say definitely not going to get like a nil-nil, it probably will be. But I do not expect nil-nil in this match. I think both teams have a lot to prove because I think both teams did not, you know, as I said, Haiti did well. Um, I don't think they started the match well, given how they set up, but they also know that they left goals out there, particularly one in the form of a penalty. But then also we talked about Dumornay's shot um, that was saved by Murphy uh, when she was 1v1. So like, yeah, I think both teams are really going to go for this. And um, I think we're in for a hell of a match. So I'm, you know what, I'm going to go with 3-2 and I'm not going to give you a winner because I don't know. um i'll i'll say 3-1 to mexico okay because i definitely think he's gonna score yeah like i i am definitely confident in that um but i also think mexico is gonna score and if they give us a bitter 1-1 draw i'm going to be annoyed um (laughs) (laughs) just at the top all right andre u.s women's national team first jamaica what do you think is gonna happen is bunny gonna leave that back line in the dust well i mean yes but is she gonna (laughs) All right, like, what, just predictions. What do you think is going to happen? 
Yeah, so we got some information from Blacko and his presser um, today. He said the two players, he would only, he wouldn't give, of course, like lineup or rotation or whatever he's thinking there, like smart, but he did name two players that are going to start. And that is Alyssa Nair, which thanks for giving us a goalkeeper, kind of could predict that one. Uh, and he said Lindsay Aran. So this now scares yeah. me. Yeah. That exactly. So exactly. This is what scares me. If he's willing to say that she's going to play first, he says some quote like medically she's 100%. Bro, how? How can she be? She was only known for like a a month before they gave her the nickname Potato, like because of her knee swelling. Like she is not 100% healthy medically. She cannot be. We see her. Yeah, I. That's. Well, also, if he says medically she's 100%. I'm like, okay, well, what about the other types of 100%? Does it mean she's not 100%? Like, I don't, like, I don't mean that in a joking sense, but like, let's say like medically she's 100%, but like, how is she feeling physically? How is she feeling mentally? Like, I just, I don't know. Like that medically 100% thing is concerning to me. Yeah, me too. Because we know that this federation will ask players to play through injury. We know that Julie Ertz got hurt that way. We know that a number of players got hurt that way by playing when they shouldn't be. And I honestly think that Lindsay Horan, we, we've talked about her performance and we critique them quite a bit because I, I, don't, I still don't think her at 100% is a great fit against some teams. But she is a much better player than what she's capable of showing. And I think a lot of that is because her mobility is severely compromised and be, because of her knee. And it does not seem like they agree. And so I'm concerned about that. And I'm also concerned that if he's willing to name her, we know that she's going to play the six in one of these games. It scares me that maybe this is the game that they're going to try her at the six. Drew Spence would love that. Drew Spence, Drew, between Drew, Drew Spence and Havana Solon and Jody Brown and Bunny. Yeah. And like, the, it's <laughs> it's like literally like feeding candy to a baby. Yeah, I, I'm. I, that's why I'm like, I need to. I really would. I wish I could know the lineup before I answer this. So it's going to be interesting. But I think this is going to be hard. This is going to be like a 2 1 situation. And I will, I think maybe the U.S. Women's Natural Team gets it. It looks like Sophia Smith is okay. Uh, saw her and walked the training with Midge. Didn't look like she was impeded in any way. Um, So that's good. I was concerned when she went off at halftime. Um, Mm -hmm. She does seem like she was, like in the the match she played against Columbia, she took a hard fall and she was kind of grabbing her hip and grimacing. And then she did the same thing and then didn't come out for the second half. They replaced her. So I was concerned that she picked up an injury that was going to be a problem. So hopefully she's all right. But yeah, I'm I'm scared of this match. Like we know what Mitch can do to people 1v1. (laughs) <laughs> facts yeah yeah i'm just i yeah i i'm i'm going to one and again not going to give a winner because i think bunny could absolutely go bonkers and we and maybe we don't have the ability to reply capability in midfield to reply i'll say that what what concerns me given what we saw against haiti um is that if you get a step on anyone from the u.s well i'll say out of the two outside backs for the u.s women's national team you can just kind of run past Kelly. Um, and for Emily Fox, she might foul you. And we know how set piece defending is currently at the moment for the U.S. Women's National Team. Lest people not forget that that 9-1 game against Uzbekistan, the U.S. conceded from a set piece. Um, actually, in World Cup qualifying for 2018, while it was chalked offside, the U.S. 
conceded against Haiti from a set piece, from a corner in particular. And almost so gave also, up the opener against Haiti. That was inches from being in the, in the goal. Yeah, and I mean, and if that happens, that's, I mean, that's a completely different game we're talking about. So, yeah, they, I, I think it's going to be 2-1. I also don't want to name who it is because the thing is with Jamaica, as we saw against Mexico, is that they are now very resolute defending. Yeah. Will just frustrate the heck out of you. And so, and can go and hit you on the counter. Like, can just full, like, how many times do we see them just with a few passes to slice through Mexico's midfield. So yeah, I'm also going to say 2-1, and it's going to be a really hard-fought game. Yeah, all that space that Dumarnay was finding, now imagine it's Jody Brown as well. So like, problems. Khadijah Shaw holding up the ball, and then Jody Brown running off of her. Like, those are the things I'm concerned about regarding this match. I was like, or a center bat. A center back splitting ball or center back outside back splitting ball that we saw the U.S. get wrecked on several different occasions, actually. But they got they almost got wrecked on it again in the She Believes Cup from, I want to say, 2021 against Brazil, where Chris was on how to make that crazy recovery run. Um, we saw that happen twice or thrice. I mean, truly how many times against Sweden in the Olympics like this? Um as my girl Beyonce says, it's a cause for concern. So <laughs> I think it's gonna be two one. I don't I don't know which way it's going if I'm being honest. I'll say yeah. it's whoever gets the first goal. Okay. I like that. A little more direction than I'm willing to give. So oh, wait, the no, people sorry. have to be satisfied I meant, with it. Oh. I meant whoever gets the second goal. If we're thinking okay. there's three goals in the game, it's whoever gets the second, which will either be you're up two nil mm-hmm. or you just equalize. Yeah. Okay. All right. I like it. I like it a lot more. Um, a, a lot, a lot more of a stable prediction than I was willing to give because I got nothing more for you than two one. So that's it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're done with that. Went a little long on that, but um, you know, we 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 did mention at the top that we we're going to get to talking about what they're doing um to Barbara Banda. So let's take a break and get to that right now. Yeah, so Barbara Branda, who captivated all of our hearts during the 2020, but played in 2021 Olympics, absolute baller. Zambia's club captain earlier this week, or late last week, was left out of Zambia's squad when they were traveling to Morocco and like wasn't in the their game day, like wasn't in their game day squad. And we were like, what is this? We want to watch this baller ball. So then we learned earlier today she's been ruled out of the Women's Africa Cup Nations after, quote, failing gender eligibility tests. It doesn't make sense because, as I just mentioned, she played in the Olympics, but has somehow failed to meet the criteria required by FIFA, whose gender rules the, like, CAF, the Confederation of African Football, defers to regarding the Women's Africa Cup Nations. And so, and I want to read this quote by Andrew Kamanga, who's the president of Zambia's FA, and what he told BBC Sport Africa. He said, quote, all the players had to undergo gender verification, a CAF requirement, and unfortunately, she did not meet the criteria set by CAF. I also want to mention that while we're going to talk about Banda, she was not the only player who was removed from the squad for, quote unquote, failing to meet this gender criteria. There are also three other players. And 
I tweeted off the cuff, this is some bullshit. I meant to tweet after, like, I have actual thoughts about this, but my first thing was just, like, this is some bullshit. If you've been living under a rock for the past few um, months, first, honestly, I'm jealous. Um, And second, we've seen not only a rise in the U.S., but a rise across the world being very concerned about trans women in sport. And while Banda is, to our knowledge, is not a trans woman, the reason why I bring this up is because we've seen this rise in the policing of not only what is quote-unquote feminine, but also the policing of trans women in sport under the quote-unquote sanctity of women's sport, which is absolute bullshit, because if you cared about the sanctity of women's sport, you'd get out all the abusers and not let them back in and put them somewhere else and not let them go anywhere near girl sports, women's sports, like kids sports, sports involving anyone getting the abusers out. But no, you're really concerned about the participation of trans women in sport. And the reason why I bring this up is because at least to my knowledge, before this, and before kind of this, I mean, it's a fake controversy, not what's happening with Banda, but the like, people saying that women's sports are being taken over, and they need to be protected. That's it's not a real issue. No, at all. Like not even close. Not a thing. Like you can literally Google it. Like I remember when it was when people were talking about the NCAA and like trans women in sports. There were like someone asked like how many trans women are participating as athletes in the NC like an NCAA sporting events, and across well over a thousand athletes, it was like three. Like it was like a ridiculously small number. Like it is not a problem. And the reason why I bring this up is because we know that when and I specifically want to say femininity is policed and when they're trying to police what a woman looks like the reason why I bring this up is because we know that like we know that this is disproportionately going to affect black and brown girls and women when you know if a player is super fast or is super strong or doesn't look honestly like a skinny lily white white girl there's going to be the accusations of oh she's a man or something like that and it's just so deeply frustrating because we've seen this play out on a larger scale with the case of Caster Semenya and it's just like it's it makes me so mad on so many levels and not only just trying to determine who quote-unquote looks like a woman and who doesn't but it's also like this gross disgusting gender verification test like what like what the fuck is this like it's so disgusting we we've, we've seen it in the in the US in particular with the the rise of these anti trans women and girls in sports bills where it's like they want these players to undergo some type of gender verification which a they're not they will not describe what that is and they won't describe what it is because we all know it's going to be gross yeah and it should not be allowed and like goes against all types of like personal autonomy personal like just fucking personal space and it's just it is it's so frustrating how and and the reason why i bring this up it's really frustrating for a player like a caster semenya or in this case and to be fair we don't know all the details about this with barbara banda and these three other players right where let's just say they have i know with actually in caster's case she has more testosterone than the average woman and why it's such a problem for quote-unquote competitive advantage 
that she has more testosterone. But when Michael Phelps produces less lactic acid than the rest of his competitors, which is a competitive advantage, why it's okay for one person who's a white man and not okay for anyone else when it's something that is naturally occurring in their body. It's not like they're taking medicine to or like taking steroids to try to get a competitive advantage. It's something that is naturally occurring in their body and makes them a better athlete. And so it it's frustrating. It's also just like it's damn right disgusting. And it's just like I'm I'm just so mad about it. Like it's it's wrapped up of like trans massage noir like it's demeaning and invasive for these players there there are people around the world trying to make a fake controversy or a fake issue out of something that is not plaguing women's sports and it's just like it's so unfair for these athletes it's so unfair for them also when it was okay at the olympics why is it not okay for women's african cup of nations right make it make sense right that's i mean all of this is so frustrating and infuriating because it's just another mechanism to to be able to target people and you can tell by who is constantly targeted you know you mentioned the uh you know they how they say that um has a higher testosterone than average what average are you using who are you getting the average from what's average to you what should a woman be like this is my whole problem with this whole thing and not even like the whole testosterone thing that ain't we don't have a cap on the limit of a natural occurring testosterone in men's sports, and it's not like the men with the most testosterone win all the time. It's not a massive. Now it changes when you're artificially, you know, giving yourself more testosterone. That's a different thing. But what your body naturally produces doesn't have anything to do with wins or losses. If so, we won't even play the games, especially in games that have something to do with like strength or force. Right. You can just tell, okay, well then just do the just bring out the test tubes or whatever and do the testosterone and we'll figure out, okay, you were gonna win because you have more. We don't do that. There's a reason we don't do that, because it's stupid. That is not where you gain your advantages, your 100 percent advantages. That is not who always wins, whoever has the most testosterone. We know that in men's sports, but apparently when it comes to women's sports, it becomes a thing of and and as Courtney said, a fake thing that they have tried to make become a real thing just so that they can gain more control over women's bodies. This is all connected to control, patriarchy, and everything. It is so frustrating. And like the fact that they made every woman participating in this tournament go through gender verification is some of the sickest shit like imaginable. Like people, I feel like people glossed over that because it was just like, I don't know what they thought. Like maybe they didn't know how like the CAF gets down and they don't know like different countries or different rules or whatever. No, that is disgusting that you make every single athlete go through gender verification. Like Courtney said, it is invasive and it is wrong. Do it's, not. It's violent. It it really is. It really is. And you know, you mentioned like um, how the the fake thing about how, they try to make sure that like trans women aren't coming in to like take over sport. And it's just like, again, Courtney said it, it doesn't happen. This is a thing that like always gets levied against great black athletes, women athletes. They always get called a man. It happened early in Serena Williams's career. Everybody was talking about now, her. Honestly. Yeah, still happens now. And they think that her game is all built on, oh, she's just bigger and stronger than everybody else. Serena Williams doesn't even have a, 
a top five fastest serve. <laughs> and I think three of the top uh, top five are white. So like, it just, it's just, it's, it's racist. It is misogynistic. It is another level for the patriarchy to like control women. And it's transphobic because real talk, this is what they, they use all of these things to be able to control women. And the thing is that people who are trans, if you listen to them, if you listen to people who understand these issues from a social lens, from a social aspect, you will understand that what are they, what they, what the goal always is, is to be able to control all women. That's what this is all about. And so because people are homophobic and transphobic, what they do is they look at women's sports and they come up with this fake outrage to be like, oh no, we need to protect the little white woman who, you know, we need to make sure that she doesn't get her feelings hurt because you might might have like these black athletes coming along and maybe they're not actually, you know, women and they're going to be dominating and we need to protect. And it comes from that. And that is so disingenuous and nonsensical. None of these people ever actually cared about women's sports. And the thing is, like in this specific example, the Olympics already cleared Barbara Banda to play. So what is it now that is becoming something that is so like, oh no, now we can't let her go. And it is, it's just wrong to police bodies. And it goes back to just like an archaic understanding of gender. We have this gender binary that is based on like an archaic stereotype that is basically like, signs on public restrooms you know do you go into that door or that door gender is not that simple and never has been scientifically or anything else it never has been and you can't that's why you cannot look at testosterone levels and just think that oh yes this is a man oh yes this is a woman does not work that way it never has worked that way but the reason why it seems to be the thing is because that is the social construct that exists and Women's sports challenge. This is why women's sports is so important to me because it challenges so many of these things. But like, this is a thing that we have got. Like, I'm so frustrated that this has become a thing in women's sports because it really does just like it dominates conversation and it really, really like is violent. It really harms all women. Like, and it's it harms some women more. Like, black women are getting are being particularly called out for this. And I mentioned it on Twitter. Like, there is a reason why it has been. Uh, like the majority of the cases you hear overwhelmingly women in Africa that are having this problem. Like Courtney said, three other players from Zambia were sent home. I think I read a story by Caitlin Burns that was talking about, she wrote that in the um, ahead of the Olympics um, and talked about Kenyan runners who got sent home as well. It's like it, it, it absolutely affects black women and African women, especially And the thing that always frustrates me is that people look at that and dismiss it as if it won't happen to you. And when you have a whole federation saying we are going to do gender verification on every woman, that just scares the shit out of every single person who cares about sports, period. Cares about women or sports or the combination of women and sports, period. You should not have to be a woman to understand that that is just straight up wrong. It is. It's so wrong. It makes me also think about the rise of just trans bills in this country and how they're literally criminalizing yeah. gender affirming care. Like, like, just like it. I don't know. It's it's so it's so it's such a hypocritical thing to say of like people who are conservative because they quote unquote believe in small government, but then try to police everything that anyone who does not look like them do, mainly white cisgender heterosexual, and just like pass that violence 
we know that, well, we are learning, let's say, how problematic it is to be putting these players on like hormone reducing medications. Like it's, it's literally not when it's, when your when your body is naturally producing something at that level and it's not like, you know, actively causing you harm, like thinking like, like tumors, cancers, that type of thing. It's really bad for your body to do something like that. Like I yeah. will link a few shows in the show notes. Cause I talk about this on burn it all down. Mm. Um, a few separate times and I like shout out truly to the team of burn it all down. Cause they first introduced me to this issue, especially with caster semenia. And it's just being able to will willingly harm trans girls, girls of color, trans women, women of color in order to quote unquote protect women's sport. Like it's, it's almost hard for me to put into words how terrible it is when we know how important just like thinking about this on a macro sense, how important sport is to your well-being, like to your mental health, to your physical health, like sports are so important for everyone. Like, even if you don't let, like, let's say like, like playing like a very traditional sport, like even shit, like, I mean, I don't want to drag bowling, but like even shit like bowling, like sports are so important for your development as a person and your well-being and the fact that these are mostly white women cisgendered white women and white men trying to quote-unquote protect women's sports they're just mad that these athletes are better than them or better than the people that look like them and because of that because of their skill and their brilliance they're like oh they must be cheating something must be wrong with them it's like always that suspicion that is the word I just thought of like brought my head it's so insidious all of this is so insidious and it's like I mean I wish this wasn't happening in women's soccer like I really want to like from a personal standpoint I was so excited to see band to play yeah because I I mean there are technically rumors of her going to other clubs in Europe but like she plays in China like it's from here we can't watch those games yeah and so from a like from a part yeah like okay I'm currently making about myself and making and being a little selfish about it but it's like seeing this play on a global scale when we already saw this player in the Olympics it's just like it's just terrible and violent and it needs to stop it has to stop and the thing that really gets me is that I just feel like these athletes are you know in in the case of Banda and and Semenya they are like world-class, like have a, a, a ridiculous level of talent that they should be able to capitalize on and utilize and show it is a gift. It, they've worked hard for it all of their lives. Like that is something that we should be able to celebrate. But even for like the, the ones who, who were sent home from Zambia, who we don't know because they went home because they basically didn't want to be um, outed for the most part. Like they didn't, they didn't want their names caught up in all of this. And same thing with the Kenyan runners and, and anybody else who, ha- who happened to run into this. Like I just get, I get so sad for them on a personal level because this is like not just career disrupting, this is life disrupting. Mm-hmm. Like what Courtney said, like when you have to take things, you have to, because otherwise you won't be able to do the thing that you know you're best at, that you're good at, that you excel at, that you want to do, then you try to do anything. And like Kamanga said, Banda was already taking testosterone reducing medication hoping that it would enable her to play based on these new restrictions that popped up out of nowhere. That is so wrong. Think about, think about that. Like changing, chemically altering her own natural body 
to be able to play the sport that she loves and has played as a woman her entire life, to get as good as she is, to be one of the best players that we saw at the Olympics, to be playing in China, and like Courtney said, to be having a high a, a rumor to a of a going to a club in a big a big European club, a big move. We know she's already making a lot of money in China as well, playing the sport. Like these things are just so wrong. And I feel like I just want to keep like on like the large social level, it's fucked up. On the personal level, it's even more fucked up because you are doing this to pe- like to people's lives. And that is what is so sad to me. Like, like <laughs> I see it a lot. Like I follow a few, uh, quite a few trans people and I, and I know what they, what they say. And I'm not, again, there's, we have to be clear. Like Barbara Banda is not trans to the best of our knowledge and neither is Caster Semania. So like, we need to be clear that there's the direction. The reason why you bring trans people into this is because the transphobia of, of people having that, allows them to come in and try to take and try to control women's bodies uh, and target women's bodies in women's sports. So that is the reason why we keep making the link to trans people. So I want to make that perfectly clear that we are not 100%. calling our band trans. But what I'm saying is like, the thing is that basically from women and, and from, from trans women, what we keep seeing time to time is just leave us alone. And like, that is the best thing to just like leave people alone you are worried about a false worry because you're actually not worried about that. You want control. And it's so transparent of a, of a, of a power move, a grab for control that it frustrates me. But of course it works in the current world in which we're living in. But on a personal level, I just hope that like Banda and any other player, any other woman athlete who's dealing with this has a lot of people around them who can really like, they can find comfort in because this is not like having the entire world talk about your supposed gender or what you are, what you're not. Just the weight of that sounds infuriating and so like debilitating that I just like, I feel for them. And I I don't, I really don't know what what to do about it because it is just, it's, 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 it's born from the dumbest, the stupidest of logic. So as we talked about before, like the gender binary is not that simple. And if you're just looking at it, oh, you can look at a woman's body. And like I said, averages, are you just looking at like a petite white woman? And then you see a black woman who is maybe a little more muscular and you're like, oh no, that's a man. What are you doing? That's Neanderthalic nonsense. Like we know that that is not how it works, but yet that is how these rules are defined. And the more and more they bring in racism, misogyny, transphobia into, into women's sports, they they follow that path, that narrow path of trying to find who is and isn't a woman, and it's bullshit. And I just really, really like I'm I I know that I've been talking in circles. Don't have much more to say on it. I just really want to spare a minute to just think about and hope that Barbara Banda, Caster Semenya, any other athlete that is going through this is okay because this is just it sucks to have your entire body and being politicized like this, and it have real effects on how you live your entire life, how you're able to do the thing that you want to do so much. It's infuriating. It's it's terrible. It's violent. I, I completely feel for these players. Because also, like, you don't know if, I mean, we've, we've made it, we've made the, the link between these transphobic policies and how they're affecting these Black women. And, you know, to our, our knowledge, they're not trans but also thinking about how if this is you know let's say a quote-unquote allegation leveled against you and there's still very much so parts of the world 
where it is illegal to be a part of the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Like, and I mean, we know in the, through bills in the U.S. that like they're trying to put people in j- jail for gender affirming care and things like that. But like that can one allegation of that that could be your entire life down the toilet. Like, like it really can be. And 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 like that's what kind of like the the magnitude of this. It is not just that a person like or trying to police who can and cannot participate in sport, but there are like very much real immediate consequences for these players. And it's like at the end of the day, they just want to play sports. And they just want to be good at the sport they play. And they just so happen to be very, very good at the sport they play. And instead you're trying to make a ruling that gender can be measured and it can exist in a vial when we know that gender is a spectrum. So deeply frustrating. Obviously we're gonna keep an eye on this story and be tweeting about all the bullshit wrapped around in it. Um and I really hope that there's enough like outcry for CAF to change these terrible, terrible like gender identity rules. Like what the fuck is that? Yeah, Get that shit that, out of here. That gender verification thing's gotta stop. Like that is just invasive and wrong. And I also wanna note, you know, though we've been careful for a specific reason, both Courtney and I mentioned it to note that Caster and Barbara are not trans. I also want to say that trans women are women and are and should be welcome in women's sports. So I want to also make sure that you understand that that is also the position of this podcast, both Courtney and I. So like these are these are issues that get complicated, but it is like all of it's connected. This is why like when you do your reading in all of these things, when you get uh, when you get a level of understanding, it's all about intersectional understanding of these social issues. So all of it is connected. But in order to di- to discuss it, you do have to isolate certain things. But I want to make sure that there's no mistake. Trans women are women. Welcome in women's sports. Period. Thanks for listening to Diaspora United podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review us anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Diaspora United Pod. That's Diaspora UTD POD. And message us if there's anything you want us to talk about in our next podcast. See you next time.